Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without declaring, Gott im Himmel! I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox, who is dealing with the existential repercussions of seeing all the neighbourhood snowmen melt. So Simon, do you have a pocket full of carrots now? <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the time to do it. I just sneak into people's gardens and pick up the pieces uh, of the, the carrot that hasn't been eaten by the by the squirrels and other mammals in the neighborhood um, but yeah. no i didn't i didn't go on a scavenger hunt uh, of sort of forgotten snowmen pieces mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's 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 been pretty sad watching all these little guys hold on uh, and then now <laughs> looking outside it's just wet and gray um so yeah i think it's hard to feel anything apart from sadness watching a snowman melt I, did you ever have a snowman friend when you were growing up? I had very few friends growing up. No, um, <laughs> um, did I? I don't. I don't remember. I remember only once really it snowing and me making a snowman. It didn't really snow that much when as a kid in the northeast. And then when I moved to Scotland, I was too. I was kind of past the age to make snowman. Mm. And certainly now, when it snows and I look out the window, I'm not thinking, "Ooh, goody." It's snowing. Let's go out and frolic in the freshly fallen snow. I think, oh, I guess I'll be getting up at seven tomorrow to scrape the path and make sure that no one slips down the hill where we live. Um, <laughs> well, of course, this is the, the, the side hustle that you sort of, you, you're instantly aware of in Germany. The uh, snow represents a legal responsibility. Um, if you don't... I wish it was a side hustle. I'd get paid. <laughs> <laughs> But here you can be, you are held liable if somebody falls on on your pavement. Mm. Uh, so yeah, people do, are very careful here about doing it. Um, whereas yeah, I've seen a lot of footage uh, of streets in the UK where people are just left uh, to fend for themselves uh, on very steep inclines all over the nation. If you don't clean um, out the front of your the path out the front of your house, then you're legally liable for any accidents that occur. Yeah, it's um, it's not what you want to do at seven in the morning, but mm. very bracing. <laughs> and it's, that's why I'm happy to not be a property owner when it snows. Uh, I can let uh, my my house super yeah, exactly. uh, take care of that stuff. Like obviously, the money is is a key thing with these things. It isn't cheap to to have a crew of gritters and the like. But I mean, at the same time, we paid a relatively high local state tax in Oregon. And when it snowed in Portland, it, that was it. The city was done for four days. There was nothing to prevent it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful uh, for sure that uh, our tax money is used to combat these issues here. But you also have you also have um, private citizens and they'll have attached a snowplow onto the front of their car or they'll have uh, some kind of smaller vehicle with a snowplow mm. on it and you yeah. see them going about Mini tractors and Suzuki Vitaras uh, seem to be the choice for these, yeah, sort of makeshift snow uh, snow plows. Anything that's high yeah. high torque and is going to get you moving, you know, it's that's what they're looking for. But I cleared. We live next to a church, and as I was clearing the path the other day, the um, housemeister, the facility manager, I guess, for the church, came out in his little snowplow vehicle. And he said good morning to me, and I said good morning to him, and I was like, all right, here we go. This is like the cheat code. The church is going to help me out here. Um, <laughs> I don't pay them any tax, but, uh, you know, it would be nice if a bit of Christian brotherly love was to, to occur, and he was going to clear the path for me. He said hello, um, and then just drove away. And I was like, all right, <laughs> cheers, buddy. 
Cheers. This is where you needed got in Himmel. And I should have started with that and then you would have been fine. I was desperately searching for <laughs> what would Jesus do in German, but um, I didn't have time. He was already out of earshot by the time uh, I, I worked out how to say it. But yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, snow's, snow's not the only exciting thing that's happened this week. Be prepared to be amazed there, uh, Simon, but I've got some really important, exciting news. I bought some new pillows. Ooh, new pillows. Oh, yeah. Get get me, get me. Getting twenty twenty one going off big time. Yeah, you know, I just I'm just gonna start big and keep going. <laughs> the thing that, that they don't tell you in the German user guide is uh, that pillows here are a totally different shape. They're you used the word before, is it like qua- quadratic? Quadratic. Yeah. So it's like eighty by eighty, is it? Or is it forty by forty? Yeah, eighty by eighty feels right. Uh, forty by forty would be a pretty small one. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, after you get those two. Um. So yeah, you get <laughs> eighty by eighty pillows that are just giant, giant pillows, and you, if you're lucky, you get two. If you're basically normal, you get one. And you can identify people who who are not German by the fact that they fold their pillow over so that it actually allows them to sleep properly. Madness. I know. I'd spent I'd spent far too long with just these sort of what you get in Britain is a rectangular pillow, not a square pillow. I think ours are forty by eighty. I think yeah. is the dimension of that. Yeah, makes total sense, and they're usually a bit fluffier. And I guess it depends who who's making your pillow, who's whose pillow you're using, as how fluffy it's going to be. <laughs> uh, the guest pillow is never as fluffy as the as the pillow you have for yourself. But yeah, um, it's just it's it's like changed my life. I'd forgotten, right? And she'll hate this. She hates this, but I'd forgotten that my wife had actually bought me a pillow as a present, and and I inadvertently then said, "Oh, it's the best night's sleep I've had in ages. It's the best pillow I've ever had." And she went, "What about the pillow I bought you?" I'd totally forgotten. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so so my life has changed totally. I'm I'm a more zen, relaxed, better slept young Nick than I was last week. So expect mighty <laughs> insights and glowing intellect for the rest of the podcast. This is where it all clicks together beautifully from here on in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because when we were living in the States, uh, we knew we were getting visitors from Germany and that we needed some, some extra pillows to, to make it happen. And uh, so I went to Walmart thinking, okay, I can get a pillow for less than $10 here. And I say it only needs to work once. And I found out they actually sold uh, these big German-style square pillows in, Amer- in America as well. And they called them Euro pillows. Uh, so it's, it's not not to them, at least, a German thing, but it is weird. Um, the first time I encountered a German pillowcase, I was mighty confused because it is 80 by 80 and there's room for two pillows in it. Um but yeah, the other thing I was interested in talking about pillows and just sort of sleep in general is that it's very, very normal for couples in Germany to have their own duvet. So instead, like my wife and I, we have one king-size duvet that we share, but there are, I think the majority of people have two smaller duvets. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, I mean, how was that for you? I assume you didn't do that when you were in England. Like it's not an English thing at all. We all have one duvet. Yeah, you, if British people will sleep in the same bed with the same duvet. And then, well, this is the thing, right? Isn't it the trope about, like, especially in TV or in sitcoms, the couple who are arguing over which side of the bed they're sleeping on, who sleeps on more of the bed. Stole the duvet is the phrase that's always used. Yeah, yes. Yeah, stealing the duvet, uh, one partner having cold feet all of these different things that are like a discomfort within a bed. And the Germans have pretty much solved that problem by um, selling beds that are 
both uh, they're a double bed but with single mattresses. That's, it's horrible. I hate it so much. Well, I mean, it depends. It depends what kind of sleeper you are. I didn't think I was a particularly aggressive sleeper, but then um, <laughs> aggressive sleeper. Yeah, well, you're in for a tale. Here's my mighty intellect about to shine upon you. I slept on my own for the majority of of my time at university and it wasn't until we moved in together that my wife realized that i'm uh, to put it mildly an active sleeper i don't <laughs> i don't remember any of the dreams i have but whatever's happening in those dreams is more dramatic than the most recent christopher nolan movie and with more apparently more explosions <laughs> than the most recent michael bay movie and i i run a jump i hit things i do i don't see any of this so maybe she's making it up maybe Maybe she's been <laughs> gaslighting me since since we we got married. I mean, I know it's true because I often wake up with like phantom injuries on my hands where I've punched things, or or, or like I wake okay. up my legs really hurt, and it's because I've been like my legs have been just rattling along all the way through my sleep. So uh, in that instance, it makes a hell of a lot of sense because my wife can actually get a night good night's sleep, and I can rage until the 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 dawn <laughs> with whatever whatever night terrors I'm suffering from. <laughs> Like sleep fighting someone. I love it. Gergenwasserstadt Streusels gegen Glatterstrassen. Okay, so this is a this is an article from uh, Tagesspiegel.de, and it's an interesting idea coming out of Niederbayern, which is instead of using road salt or grit to grit the streets when it snows or when it's icy, they've Come, come upon this idea of reusing gherkenwasser which is pickle water so the water that you get gherkins or pickles in and using that with uh, a bit of additional salt and they're testing out to see if this is more effective than normal street salt or or grit that we use on the streets so simon do you use gherkenwasser for anything interesting i can't say that i have um I have read a lot of articles about this uh, and I've done some research on this because I knew we were going to talk about it. So I, I am aware that there are multiple uses. I had no idea it was this good. I had heard about it as part of uh, a hangover cure. I had a lot of friends that swore that, yeah, a shot of pickle juice was really good. Uh, I also knew a few bartenders that if they were making a Bloody Mary, uh, they'd chuck in a, a small amount of uh, pickle juice as well. But it's, it's not something that I save... Uh, I do have, I've got one jar of pickles that I should have thrown out a while ago. I'm going to admit to that live on this recording. Uh, so there's some pickle juice that is ready to go. So if the snow comes down again, I'm ready to test this theory on my balcony. And we'll see see what's up. <laughs> Just going to chuck it off your balcony. <laughs> I mean, I need to bring the salt up to apparently 22% salt. So yeah, yeah. Just chucking a bit of salt. Uh, we'll see, see what happens. I didn't think gherkin, gherkin vasa... Uh, I don't know if we were going to say gherkin water or gherkin vasa. I haven't decided which one we're doing yet, but we'll, we'll just, just switch. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I didn't know that the, the gherkin water was, was particularly salty. It's not that I drink it. I don't think I've ever drank it. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I know that you have to add salt in the pickling... Uh, yeah, salt in the pickling process. Mm. But all we get here is that it gets raised up to 22%. Mm. So uh, I've no idea what the baseline is. That's something to check on the back of my jar when I finally <laughs> empty it. I've got a list here of things that people do use it for. So the first suggestion we have is just re-pickle things. Uh, so you could, for example, take hard-boiled eggs, put them in your pickle mm. juice, and then you get pickled eggs. But then you have a jar of pickled eggs, and what, what use is that to anyone? You eat the pickled eggs. They're I'm, I'm, am I about to have an argument with you about how yeah, amazing yeah. pickled eggs are? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh. I know you like pickled eggs. I was ready for this. I've come, yeah, you, I've come prepared. You are wrong, my son. Um, <laughs> like pickled eggs for me wasn't ever something I was particularly interested in. But then the working man's club uh, that I went to, they'd always have a jar of pickled eggs, and someone showed me the trick. Now this also requires scampi fries. Um, so scampi fries are little crispy uh, crisps uh, type pocket snacks um, available in a lot of Chips. bad pubs uh, yeah, in the UK and if you open up that bag put a pickled egg inside it give a little shake and pull out the pickled egg with all the crumbs on it oh my god it's it's a wonderful thing oh, and also just smother it in Tabasco oh Tabasco and pickled eggs okay Nick looks really disgusted oh. and I'm massively disappointed in him uh, so any applicants to host this show with me next week <laughs> yeah yeah I don't dislike pickled eggs I think it's the idea of a pickled egg is more disgusting than the actual eating of a pickled egg but it's like tuna and onions mm. like egg and scampi mm. like scampi's fish like this is just a combination of things that you probably if you like other people like it's great in lockdown eat that shit all day like eat the stinkiest stuff you can find get the bird caser down your throat you know mm. but like if you're if you're planning on spending any time with any other human beings in a 12-hour period like if you turned up to to, to meet me and you were like oh i've just had a scampi pickled egg i'd be like all right mate cool like have a nice rest of your day i'm gonna go do something else like <laughs> just keep the mask on at that point i think yeah horrendous yeah i mean c- certain people i'm not sensitive to these smells at all my wife has a thing about onion and I, there's nothing I like more than a cheese and onion sandwich, uh, but I, I don't eat them because it's just hard on her. But the other day, uh, she doesn't eat soup for a host of weird reasons that I'm not going to go into. Um, but yeah, she talks about soup, and I was like, oh, I've got a tin of soup. I'm going to have some soup. Uh, Open up the tin, realized it was onion soup. And for 48 hours later, my wife was still complaining that I stank of onions. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I am slightly sympathetic to this, but still a pickled onion is an amazing thing i'm very nostalgic about them as well it reminds me of my granddad <laughs> okay okay i'm not gonna go in that territory yeah pickled onions are great everyone should eat them i'm clearly wrong yes agreed <laughs> number two on the list we have is tenderized meat apparently just applying some pickle juice uh, to your meat is going to make it more tender number three a vinegar substitute uh so fish chips and a little bit of gurkha always that's always what i'm looking for like honestly i was saying to, to my wife the other day i say like, you know what we really need right now is a vinegar <laughs> substitute because i tell you what it's really bloody hard to get hold of some vinegar like honestly i mean there is a small part of me that actually doesn't mind this uh, suggestion because whenever i've gone to buy vinegar at the supermarket here in germany i am massively <laughs> overwhelmed by how many different varieties of vinegar there are it seems easier in england what is this balsamico <laughs> balsamico i understand but like <laughs> the others i don't know like, it doesn't ever look right to me so I, I haven't actually bought vinegar apart from essence of vinegar which my wife sometimes put on the shopping list oh yeah that's important for cleaning stuff exactly yeah naturally no i go and buy food shopping and i buy vinegar and my wife uses it for cleaning yeah don't put whatever you do don't put it on your chips it does not taste good yeah this is true <laughs> more on that to come <laughs> uh number four we have is make dill pickle bread yeah so for this of course you need dill pickle water so you got by the kosher ones which of course is recommendable isn't basically any list on what al- what alternative uses of, of something there is all of them will include bake some kind of yeah. bread <laughs> like, yeah like, like how do you reuse your plastic bags uh, number four bake some bread <laughs> well, okay. I mean, the fact that that's number four shows how thin on the ground ideas are uh, number five <laughs> is boil potatoes in it 
I can see that. That makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. but I can also see it stinking out of the house. Boiled <laughs> gherkin water. Number six, I think you have to have a fetish. You have to have, be a kink of some kind. Make pickle popsicles. I love the alliteration of pickle popsicle. That is very exciting mm-hmm. to me. But that's about the only reason I'd do it, just so I could say it. I don't think... I don't think... I don't think it works if you say pickle lollipop, does it? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I can't think of a more grotesque use for old pickle juice. Well, I mean, if we do get vaccinations in a timely manner and we can have barbecues this summer, I will try and have you you and your wife over and we can have pickle popsicles together uh, and put this to the test. Uh, Number number seven is one for Nick because I am a lazy... Uh, use it as a post-workout drink. Now I have heard this because I think it's got a lot of electrolytes in mm. it. Yeah, indeed. The thing, the thing with workout tips of any kind is everyone's got at least one workout tip that will give you, especially if you go to a gym. But also that there's a lot of pure bunkum ideas out there. There's there's always someone who's like got some some wild opinion about what's going to be good for you. But I've, if I saw someone in the gym drinking pickle juice is their workout post-workout drink i'll be like great good for you i hope it goes well for you i'll have some water thank you surely the container is the thing if it's in a bottle you wouldn't even think twice but if they're there eating cornichons and then suddenly necking the, the end of that, that jar more, that's slightly more I'd, I'd be more ac- accepting of someone if they were just eating some cornichons <laughs> and then the neck to the rest of the, the water i'd be like fair enough then if they opened their water bottle and were like smell this no. <laughs> yeah, if I think if you're at the gym and people are asking you to smell things in bottles, watch out. That sounds like a trap. Probably. probably. Where's my kidneys? <laughs> Why am I in an ice bath? Am I in Mexico? The final one they put out on this list, number eight, is use it as a cleaning agent. Yeah. Now, I'm always super sceptical when the first things are eat it, eat it, eat it, and then clean with it. It <laughs> doesn't really seem right. No, that's that's pretty worrying. <laughs> that seems reasonable. Like, yeah, there isn't there isn't much crossover there, is there? Like, you don't get no. that with bleach or like a loaf of bread. <laughs> it's also wonderfully vague. It doesn't tell me what I should be cleaning mm. with it. I'm pretty sure if I decided to like clean the floor with it, it wouldn't be. It would fucking stink. It's like clean other pickles with the <laughs> excess pickle juice. <laughs> that's what. That's clearly what they meant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this this whole th- the thing, made, this article when we read it about this being used as an alternative to grit, made me think of something you tweeted a while ago uh, about how Germany is a little bit weird uh, about some medical treatments. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought thought about Felix Magath, uh, who is a very famous football trainer uh, here in Germany, of course Schalke at one point, and others. I can't think of who mm-hmm. else off the top of my head, but he came to England and managed at Fulham. Uh, and at that point, he was criticised in the British press for recommending using quark, a type of sort of dairy product, as a as an aid to the healing process. Um, so I was just wondering what other weird stuff I could find out about German and a sort of superstitions with food. I would say he wasn't wrong. I'm going to explain my logic. Mm-hmm. There's a post on 40percentgerman.com from last September about traditional German medicine. And yeah, Felix Magat was managing Fulham. Magat's really funny because he's famous for his... Uh, you heard of the the, the, the hill of suffering? Mm. Sounds lovely. He built this staircase on the training ground when he was um, head of Wolfsburg, uh, which he just forced the players to run up and down. 
So it's just a big staircase and they run to the top and then run back down and then run to the top and run back down. It was all about fitness, fitness, fitness. So he's already a little bit, a little bit sort of outside of the box <laughs> thinking. And it was, he was speaking to um, one of his defenders who had a thigh injury and he said that what he should... Breda Hageland. Yeah, Breda Hageland. Yeah. And what he said to him is what you should do is use a cooling compress made from quark. But the media didn't know what quark is because quark's not a big product in in the uk it's it's the process of making quark is you've got a filter milk curds and it's like a whole like rigmarole and 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 sieving things through cheese cheese paper and stuff like that and yeah it's a whole process so it's not a big thing in the uk massive thing in germany quark is a product and so they translated quark as just cheese and so the story was that felix magat had told this player to go and buy a, a block of stilton and just stick it on his leg which of <laughs> course wouldn't do anything but quark does have seemingly there's no uh, clear sort of definite studies been done but the studies that that have been covered suggest that this there's some kind of cooling element the enzymes in the the quark can have an impact on burns and skin lesions and things like that and it might have an impact on muscle injury it's all a little bit debatable <laughs> yeah it's not something that if my doctor said oh yeah you need what you need is a bit of quark I wouldn't automatically think it can be treated at the height of 2021's progress level. Like It's a very old wives' tale vibe to it. So that's what I researched, really. Mm-hmm. One of the ones I found is about bread holes. Obviously, bread we've spoken about already on this podcast, and it will come up again because it is such an essential part of life here. But apparently, if there are large air holes in the bread when it's cut, um, this means that someone you know will die very soon. Uh, the hole in the bread is supposed to symbolise a coffin. That's like just the most depressing old wives' tale ever. Like, isn't it the case that everything, like, if, if you dream about your teeth falling out, it means you're gonna, you, there's gonna be a death. Like, everything means death. Like, I mean, it's it's one it, of those really safe bets to make, isn't it? Like, someone's it is, gonna totally die. Like, so, okay, I didn't say when, but someone is yeah. going to die. If you <laughs> if you find you've got a, a penny in your pocket, it means someone's gonna die, and you're like, someone dies, and you're like, oh right, yeah, it's my fault. Okay, so I'm, I understand the, the the sort of the the displeasure with me bringing up death and bread. How about the next one? We'll, we'll go back to go lo- we'll go on to love. Whoever oversalts their food is in love, apparently, in Germany. Or just really likes salt, or they've discovered that the restaurant that they're buying their food at doesn't have enough salt. You're such a cynic. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. But but again, it's like another one. It's like I remember being a kid and I'd peel the bottle, uh, like, oh, not a kid, but like a sort of 18, 19 year old, and I'd peel the label off of, um, off of a bottle of beer, and people would go, oh, it means you're horny. And I'm like, what? Is, does that even mean? don't understand the logic but yeah okay go on and uh, the next one we have if you stir your food with the prongs of your fork you shouldn't be surprised if you get stung by insects like that's someone who's never read a book about biology right <laughs> i mean there's, there's obvious causation here stirring with with this <laughs> with the prongs equals attacked by bees the way you're buying into these the, this list right suggests that I, I should have been like trying to sell you like miracle cures a long time ago have you seen this rock it protects you against all known diseases would you like to buy <laughs> give this it, rock give it to me yes <laughs> <laughs> okay if you eat with a stranger's spoon you have to blow on it three times quickly to avoid unhappiness. That one's wild, right? That is the wildest. It's so strange, isn't it? A stranger's spoon. Like I don't know about you. It's obviously Corona's changed a lot, 
but it's been yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a really long time since I ate from a stranger's spoon. It's an intimate bit of cutlery. <laughs> but, you, but you have eaten from a stranger's spoon. <laughs> and we're going to talk about alcohol later. I've been pretty drunk, so it probably has happened. I've probably licked someone's spoon along the way. You know? But right, get this right. If you go to a restaurant, like most restaurants you go to, you don't know the people who've either eaten with the utensils you're using or the owner of the restaurant. So in effect, every time you go to a restaurant, you should pick up your spoon and blow on it. Three times. Not just not just once. Yeah. Maybe that's why people who go to restaurants are just really unhappy. Like that's what I find. I mean, they come come in the next day or they're speaking to the next day. I went to a restaurant yesterday, and now I feel like incredibly unhappy. <laughs> and, and, I, and I always say to them, like, blow. Yeah. Did you blow on the did spoon? Blow- like, oh no, I forgot. I only blew twice. I blow on the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I only did it once because it was hot. Oh, what a fool! The owner is an acquaintance yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone's just making friends with the owners of restaurants, <laughs> desperately. Like, just tell me your first name. Dudson, can we do the Dudson, please? <laughs> okay, I'm staying on the topic. If you haven't completely cleared your plate, the weather will be bad. I've heard that one before. Like, that's like a universal, surely. Yeah. This, like, my mum used to this say This is a waste me. not, want not type of vibe, isn't it? And, of course, mm-hmm. a, a very powerful and important message for food waste growing up in england like eating it clearing your plate didn't seem to help uh, so i call i call bullshit lies from from granddad on that <laughs> the next one blew my mind a little bit because this is something that is quite sort of local and available whoever eats wild boar should remain a failure throughout life and get nowhere you know where that comes from, right? Peter. It's one of those anti anti poaching rules that was created and has been like You're so right. Of course it is. Yeah, it's totally like just like the the Lord of the Lands. Like well, they keep they keep stealing all the wild boar. Like well, how do we stop them? And the the sort of Chancellor's gone. I think we can spread a rumor <laughs> <laughs> that f- failure is connected with eating the royal boar. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. That's exactly what that is. That, that, it, it really is. That's, that's, see, your pillow has given you special insight powers. Yeah, it's the magic you. pillows, man. Wait, wait. <laughs> you, this is only the start, buddy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to just up and up. Well, yeah, on, on, the, on the topic of up and up, um, not really strictly food related here, but this one's just so wild I had to include it. Carry an orchid root with you, and that should save you from money worries. Is the orchid root making you gain more money? Or is the orchid root just stopping you from worrying about money? It's, it does quite clearly state, save you from worry. Um, so I guess it's just it's a feel-good factor uh, that allows to stave off depression. I could make a yeah. mint if I could just go back in time. Like, these people in the past were real idiots. <laughs> Staying ever so mildly on topic, our next article actually looks at recycling. So we have here, in der Pandemie steigende Müllberge und damit auch das schlechte Gewissen. Uh, so this article is focusing on the sort of the negative vibes that people are getting from the amount of waste that we're producing, especially in the pandemic environment. Um, it highlights in uh, the headline that uh, takeaways. Uh, delivery services and uh, and sort of Amazon and other packages uh, and other postal services are causing. Um, so most households are producing at the moment much more waste than they used to. Um, and so this organization has surveyed uh, and conducted a study on this. And of course, the response is that people want uh, 
better solutions to this problem of increased waste. One of the suggestions that's being made is uh, an extension of the FAND system. Uh, so FAND is deposit uh, in English and it might be mind-blowing to any British listeners out there, but here in Germany, uh, there is a deposit you pay on the majority of bottles, uh, and when you return them, you get your money back. Uh, so there's an incentive to recycle uh, and an incentive to not stockpile waste at home. Uh, and so the suggestion is that this could be broadened to include food types as well uh, to allow people to recycle at a higher level uh, because although people split there are a lot of things that that can't really be recycled totally or at all even though they might look like they would be uh, possibly recycled or reused uh, so nick how much recycling are you hoarding in your house at the moment or are you uh free and clear done okay actually quite difficult in the first the first lockdown i think we had we just had mm. rubbish piling up a couple of things i was thinking about this article is first off why is it like velt velt.de is is actual axel springer axel springer is one of the largest media companies in, in germany and it's the publishers build zeitung which is regularly considered to be the worst newspaper in tabloid newspaper in in, in germany why is it always like axel springer articles just sound whiny like it's written in a way it just sounds whiny and complainy and like a little bit like I just that's the tone of the articles like why won't companies do more <laughs> and so that's one thing the other thing i was thinking i watched a video the other day that was talking about how one of the myths of climate change is that consumer plastic use is driving climate change and it was pointing out that actually this i don't know enough about it that's why i was watching a youtube video about it so this is all youtube information so be aware but I know, I know it's certainly the case that we could recycle more efficiently in a lot of different ways and, and all of any kind of recycling is going to be good for the environment. But that's not fighting climate change, really. It's, it's just being good to the earth and not creating massive piles of waste or giant plastic islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You might have seen this. In Scotland, at least with all bars, drink products, bars make iron brew. And they make lots of other drinks that you can only really get in Scotland. And they have the fan, fan system there, but only for their glass bottles. So you can return the glass bottles to the shop and okay. then you get 25 pence for each bottle. Why do you think it is that we companies don't just start moving back to glass bottles? I mean, yeah, it, it seems like it would be a really good solution. I assume there's got to be storage yeah. issues on on the front end before production that would make it easier like i think with the way that companies like coca-cola the bottle goes from raw plastic to a bottle that's filled in the space of a minute or two um so i guess production systems just allow them to not have to worry about that storage Mm. and of course we covered i think it was in episode one about the fact that glass bottles Mm. and beer bottles were in short supply at the moment. Uh, Of course, you you require raw materials for that stuff as well. But I mean, yeah, there's a certain nostalgia that's attached to a glass bottle for a lot of these drinks and adds value to the consumer. Uh, A lot of people are happy to pay that 30 cent more for a glass bottle of Coke as opposed to a plastic one. Um, So yeah, you'd assume that would be a a good way to integrate a sort of possible solution here as well. I mean, weight maybe is an issue as well. The majority of households in Germany still drink bottled water. So if you had glass bottles every time, that would be more to to carry, to schlep, to use one of my favorite German words. But again, we're seeing more people move over at the moment to soda stream uh, and be able to do this, your drinking water at home instead of having to lug 
uh, cartons of uh, or crates of bottled water everywhere every week. The, the fact remains, you're absolutely right with the cynicism of this article because one quote that I just couldn't really believe was written. Uh, in German, it's a klar sind die meisten für Nachhaltigkeit, wenn, sie, uh, wenn man sie fragt. Uh, which translates basically as, yeah, people will say they want this if you ask them. And yeah, I think this kind of does come down to the problem here. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of discussion where people are like, I'm doing everything I can. And then you see a huge part of the population that says, oh, it's too late. We need to just like accept our fate. And then other people say, technology will save us. So I'm going to travel as much as I can to help boost that. And it's just, there are so many schools of thought that I think the main thing we need is to feel that we're not completely ruining it on an individual level. And I think that's really the benefit of being able to be involved in a strong recycling policy is that it takes away that bad vibe that you could get if you're just throwing all this stuff out. They also mentioned that membership to the WWF has increased um, during this time. So I think people are people are making less money generally, but they're sort of thinking, okay, I need to do something good because otherwise I'm just a piece of shit sitting at home producing all this rubbish uh, and not I can't go outside and plant a tree. So yeah, I, I, I don't know how we balance this. It's behaviour, in it? We've got to change how you behave, whether that's getting a soda stream instead of getting bottled waters, bottled water brought in or um, things like looking at the packaging i mean companies can do more i've noticed that they've started selling bamboo toothbrushes uh which i, I guess is another movement to to stop using plastics the raver near us and a few other ravers have started asking customers to come in with uh, plastic tupperware for their like for the for the butcher's section for the meat section so that they don't have to use like plastic paper single use plastic type stuff it's that sort of papery it's not quite paper it's not quite plastic it's what they wrap the meat in so it's hygienic Mm -hmm. so they don't have to use any of that stuff and they can reduce the amount of plastics that they use which is a good initiative but again it relies on people remembering like we forget to bring our tupperware in and eventually the sign that said we will use your tupperware just went away and it's because people behavioral change is difficult and people especially consumers who are used to having it a certain way don't really want to change that much i think if you offered a financial incentive like you get five percent off then i think everyone would remember very very quickly but it's just a pain to a bag for life is already uh, a bit of a push to remember your your beef bowl or whatever else and your pork bowl whatever else you need uh, it's probably a bit much. It, it does feel weird as well, like leaning over the butcher's counter and be like, can you put my mints in this? Yeah, can you put it in this pure ham, hammy, like horrible like piece of Tupperware you've had for for 10 years? My Toy Story Tupperware. <laughs> I brought my Star Wars lunchbox. Can you put it in there? <laughs> it, but what I see with the article is that it's a, one of those things where it's like the consumers need to, need to do more, and that's true, but companies need to do more too. The thing I've come to learn is if... if somebody doesn't take leadership and doesn't just say this is what we're going to do ban all single-use coffee cups like if you're going to start banning Mm -hmm. stuff then you might as well do that and the companies will adapt because a lot of companies have the smaller companies it's more difficult to adapt to that situation but getting rid of single-use plastic has to be something that's done by the government because individuals aren't going to do it themselves. Like, are you going to order a takeaway from your favourite takeaway across town, clean all the all the packaging and take it back? Like, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. People, people aren't programmed like that. We might want them to be, but they're not going to do that. If you want to change things in a positive way, governments can do things like create incentives, but they can create intelligent use of policy and intelligent use of lawmaking can create situations where, where people are sort of locked in 
into certain certain situations. So whether it is banning certain stuff, there's always there's always a consumer complaint when the banned straws in the UK. There was a whole thing about how it was the end of the world. That was an industry where we saw sort of overnight development because they were banned in lots of places, and so like industry jumped at the chance, and we saw paper straws being used. I think by Starbucks and a couple of other major coffee houses. We saw uh, aluminium and different types of metals being tested out. Uh, of course, a lot of those affect the flavor. And then it turned out one of the best solutions was pasta. Uh, the Italians came to rescue us by just giving us yeah, pasta tubes, uh, which worked. Um, so yeah, you kind of hope that with government movement that this thing would move pretty rapidly and there would be good long-term solutions. Um, but yeah, unless there's a financial incentive uh, we can't expect businesses to to cut into their own profits that way, uh, especially if you are a small independent takeaway. I think it's the reality is I think we'd like to like I want like sensible policy. Like I'm willing to to give things up. I'm willing to change my behaviours, but there needs to be direction for that. But also just making it harder for consumers to use plastics, you know, and and making it and making more incentives for companies to come up with new solutions and different ways of doing stuff. It seems like we're stuck on plastic because it was affordable and an easy answer and now we're like being tested but it's 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 a, it's a lot like the, the the microcosm of working in a company you know if you want people to do things in a in a group of people or in a, in a department of people you don't like impose it on them you just make it really easy to follow through you just make it way easier for people to to do what you want than to do the the opposite and and i think a little bit more strategic thinking would come up with it but it also means that countries have to not make crazy gas pipeline deals you know they need to they need to actually show direction they can't go like i mean that's obviously germany germany in, in a nutshell is with this 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 gas pipeline with russia but even in canada like like the canadian the canadian government uh like yeah we're totally green but look over there while we take these ancestral lands and build an oil pipeline. And you're just like, well, you should be taking the lead here. You can't, the governments can't turn around and say to some, say to an individual, you need to do more, or companies, you need to do more, and then do exactly the opposite. So. Okay, so we're going to move from food waste to being wasted. <laughs> Look what we did there. And this is our very first listener suggestion, this article. Uh, so we kind of thought it would be pretty stupid to <laughs> to turn that down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is something we, we are definitely open to. If you do have something you'd like to hear our thoughts on or feel should be addressed on a podcast like ours, information uh, will come at the end of, of, of the episode on how to reach out to us and how to get in touch. Uh, so yeah, thank you to Katya uh, for pointing us in the direction of this. And we get to talk about alcohol, Nick. So isn't that lovely? It's one of my favourite topics. <laughs> so the headline, this is coming from The Guardian. The headline is, English and Scottish get drunk more off 25 nations survey fines. So Nick, how many times did you get drunk in 2020? Let's see how average you are, you big boozer. Actually, the first lockdown was very alcohol fueled. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. How many times did I get drunk? I wasn't counting. What was the average again? 33 for the British. I'd say I'd say 33 is a good bet. Yeah, kudos. I've probably I was probably under 33, but maybe let's say 25. Okay. 25 so, times just about every other week pretty much yeah the interesting thing about this is that this is part of uh the global drugs survey which asks for people to basically reveal their drug consumption over the last year 
so this isn't necess- <laughs> exactly <laughs> the CIA uh, doxing you right now. Um, so this is sort of one of the first caveats we have on this article that it is a global drug survey, and alcohol isn't necessarily the target. Uh, of this survey they're looking much more at uh, illegal drug use but they do say that yeah more than five percent of people under 25 in the uk who took part in the survey reported as having sought hospital treatment after getting drunk compared with an average of two percent globally uh, so that's my next question Nick. have you ever needed medical assistance for how drunk you've been no no good I've for been, you i've been incredibly drunk but i've never sought medical assistance <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, mate. Did you ever feel like it might have been a good idea to get medical assistance? You ever been that drunk? I've had hangovers that have felt like I needed medical assistance. <laughs> so, of course, know your limit uh, was a big campaign in the UK in the two thousands, and in German, it is verbatim the same. Ken dein limit, uh, and of course, this is a big part of, of alcohol consumption and alcohol abuse. We're going to get more into the culture of alcohol abuse as, as this article goes on. Now, they also defined being drunk uh, as losing your balance and slurring your speech. Uh, th- so the actual definition they gave is your physical and mental faculties are impaired to the point where your balance or speech was affected. You were unable to focus clearly on things and that your conversation and behaviours were very obviously different to people who know you. Do you think that happened to you 25 times last year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, my behaviours would definitely have changed. Like, I probably, I probably, and this might be a surprise to people who don't know me, I couldn't get louder. <laughs> so, <laughs> I often get louder, I often get more, yeah, more boisterous. One thing that never, ever fails me, has never failed me in all the time that I've been drinking, has been my legs my legs are always sturdy i never fall over i never lose the ability to walk the 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 bottom half of my body is like drunk proof the top (laughs) half of my body is very susceptible to the booze so that that is a badge of honor of course uh in the english language of course we have hundreds of words for being drunk and legless is one of my personal favorites uh and yeah i'm also i think i'm pretty good on my feet the whole time i'm drunk but i do also have a tendency to get a bit more shouty one of the interesting things about this is that our rate uh, 33 times during the survey period the survey period is a good point and Katya actually highlighted this in her notes to us this was in a three-month period from November 2019 to February 2020 so this is before lockdown so we're not including any changes that happened there but this is also the seasonal time like it's winter it's Christmas it's New Year's so these include some pretty uh, rowdy periods in drinking culture. So I think that affects it. Um, but our rate is actually double uh, what a lot of countries are, including Poland, Hungary, Germany, Greece, Spain, Italy, and Portugal. Now, the second half of that list we don't really think of as necessarily big alcohol consumers. Greece, Spain, Italy, and Portugal, Mediterranean drinking culture is certainly different. But Poland, Hungary, and Germany... Like those, are, those are some heavy hitters uh, in alcohol consumption uh, on a global level, and we're doubling that. So I think we might have to admit we've got a small problem here. The, the thing that blew my mind most, though, was actually at the bottom of the table, which is Colombia. Colombians only got drunk six and a half times. I like the half drunk statistic. That's pretty nice. But then it also follows on to the next element where they talk about regret, being remorseful about getting drunk. For this, we have 32.8% of people around the world say they regret getting drunk. I think we've all had this. Uh, A third of of people have said this. 
in England only 31%, so we're just below that. Scotland 33 but the poor Colombians, they're just riddled with Catholic guilt. Uh, 88.3% of Colombians say they regret getting drunk. So I don't know what is happening on these big boozy Colombian nights, but for, for nearly 90% to say they regret it, that's, that's pretty bonkers. Um, I mean, I, I've spent some time in Colombia and, and had a fair few drunken nights, um, and I, I regret a handful of them, so I do have some sympathy for them here. Um, but yeah, how often do you regret your level of drunkenness, Nick? Hmm, that's a good question. There was a period of our of our lives when you and I would go to the pub on a Friday, and most often it was a Friday and a Saturday, and would would get leathered. That was the process of most weekends, and in those periods, yeah, I certainly like regretted getting too drunk or making bad decisions when I was drinking. But rarely now, like I rarely. Like if I get drunk, I've it was in, it was very much intentional, and I knew what was going to happen. It's very rarely that I suddenly find like you would do that some days. Like, certainly when I lived as uh, in, in the UK, you'd go out for one, and you'd never have just one. You'd have five or six, and then you get home, and then you wake up the next day and go, "Oh God, I oh I've got to go to work, and I feel stinking." So there was there was there was that element, but like most of the time, I don't. Not anymore. I rarely regret having been drunk, only for the fact that the negative side effect of being drunk is you have a stinking hangover the next well, day. Well, this was certainly one of the things that drew us together in the, in the beginnings of our, our of our friendship, was that we're both session drinkers. Neither of us go and drink hard for two hours, and then that's the night. Like We are, especially in the, in, in the early days, the best way for us to spend a Saturday was meet at the pub when it opened and just mm-hmm. drink until we wanted to go home. And that would often be Which was usually nine like or ten hours. hours yeah, later. exactly, nine, ten, twelve <laughs> hours later. But the aim for us was to just spend time in our community, and we didn't really uh-huh. attack it. Our group changed uh, as age happened, and shots and things were were less common for us. Um, every now and again, mm-hmm. we'd have a short, but it was really unusual. Uh, and you also brought in the culture of drinking water uh, in a session, which is something I'd never done before. That was more survival instinct than anything else, the realisation that I couldn't take it anymore. But that's a healthy thing to introduce, and I think a lot of a lot of pub culture, a lot of English drinking culture, has an active problem with mm. those kinds of steps. What I remember at university was much more of a tactical mm-hmm. chunder approach, like you be sick to get yourself back on track and i think that's a really really unhealthy way to handle overconsumption. and so yeah thank you for introducing the ways of a pint of water every three or four beers uh to improve the next day it's it saved me it stopped me having regret the rule apparently is for every pint you have you should have a pint of water it's just that, that doesn't seem like something that anyone's really going to do but you got to plug in your catheter if you're going to do that surely <laughs> exactly you're definitely <laughs> going to be on the toilet a lot with these stories the question's always like why do british people drink too much and why do british people drink more and it's a catchy headline because the assumption is that british people always are drunk and it's hard to deny. Like if you go on holiday to, to, to Magaluf, you're going to see, or Benidorm or something, you're going to see British people, holiday mode, sunburned, lots of alcohol, very drunk, just doing horrendous things. I remember when I went to Magaluf when I was 21, and I was the most embarrassed I've ever been to be English, because I came <laughs> out of this pub. I was with the Scottish lads, so it was me, big group of Scottish lads, Irish lads, Welsh lads, marching down this sort of central street. And we had an honour guard of English people being sick into the gutter. 
and I was just <laughs> like, oh god, that's that's our culture right there. The Scottish people consume as much alcohol as as English people. I'm I'm sure of it, and Welsh and Irish people too. We're all just as bad as each other. That entire <coughs> collection of countries. Um, but the question's always why why do the why do the British drink more than others? It's never a question that gets a satisfactory answer, I think. No, I mean, there are lots of theories. I mean, I think we do have quite a macho culture. I mean, we spoke about this rebel spirit that we have when you say, don't do that, we go, fuck you, we're going to do it anyway. I think that's a, one of the, the problems we have deep embedded in all of us, in our alligator brain, is I'm going to do this anyway. And so we definitely have a tendency to drink to excess. Um, when compared to our, our European counterparts. And it says here, when getting drunk, most people are likely to be consuming almost their entire weekly allowance in one sitting. And I think that that is a, a big thing. We like a booze up. Um, and I don't feel like apologizing for it because I kind of miss it at the moment. But moderation is something we don't embrace. Yeah, moderation certainly isn't. I like. I think my, my story of sort of when I started and how I started drinking is probably quite common for everyone. Like I started, we started, sort of drinking heavily every weekend when i was about 16 ultimately because there was nothing to do where we lived nothing to do there was a youth club twice a week on a sunday and a thursday there was nothing friday saturday the only other places to go as a kid 16 17 year old were like under 18s clubs and stuff like that which were hard and obviously if you go into a club most people would start drinking people in scotland at least everyone was on the book fast uh or like cheap cider so it was like that was that was that was me that was my like that that was my weekend you know saturday and friday and saturday and if we weren't going to a under 18s disco or whatever we'd go to like the underpass or the woods or something and we'd just drink there instead i think this is a really common sort of story for people who begin drinking in england obviously our drinking age is 18 mm -hmm. and yeah getting things like a fake id or getting served in a pub isn't an impossibility at all when i was at boarding school we'd get the train into town and then the easiest thing to do was to get a grown person an adult to buy you a bottle of vodka uh, and then that would get six or seven or eight people drunk no problem um, and that was easily done you just wait outside the shop for someone yeah. to do it for you, yeah. yeah, yeah. Offer them a fiver outside the Londis, and yeah, someone's going to say yes eventually. Whereas getting twenty-four beers from the same person, most people would say no, even though that's a much safer thing to give underage drinkers. Just the reality of picking up a crate for someone feels weird, and so yeah, for the first few years of my life, it was definitely sharing a bottle of vodka in a bush in a city park. Uh, as opposed to learning my limits in the way that Germans do. Of course, French people introduce alcohol through wine with meals in a, in a different way than we do in England, and people get to mm. get to try it out. Um, and of course, that's a really key thing. As well, in England, we have the sort of the low-level varieties of alcohol content. To get a beer that's 3% is is relatively easy, whereas here in Germany, a 5% mark is pretty normal. And so if you try and push your limit on a 5% beer, you're very mm. quickly going to learn that your legs can't handle it or the you Oh, yeah, can't. yeah. Four of those and you're, you're, feeling, you're feeling the effects. Like. But I think, again, it's, yeah. it's the culture for a start. The culture is different. And it's different for a reason, you know. I mean, if you, if you go back in time a thousand years, you can't, you're not drinking the water. You're making what they used to call small beer, which was like 2% beer. Mm. And actually, it was a lot of, it was, it was the job of most women were brewers up until sort of 1500s when when like larger breweries started coming into effect and they were sort of pushed out and marginalized by 
by mostly by men. Everyone was doing that. Mm. It was all across Europe. It doesn't explain quite why the British have, have 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 this relationship with alcohol. But I remember when I was studying at university, reading a, a dispatch from a French ambassador to Henry VIII's court, and it basically was like, it's, "This is happening. That is happening." Oh, by the way, the English are total pissheads. All they do is drink all the time. Every time I go to court, everyone's <laughs> drunk. And you get that through the periods of like reports about drunkenness in Britain. You obviously have things like the gin craze and the 1700 um the, yeah the 1700s it was like mm. the crack epidemic in the 80s in new york it was like that's it was seen as like the moral failing and um the the the, the gin craze was was t- killing people and it was killing people because people were making gin in their bathtubs you know they were like drink some gin check to see you've still got your eyesight and then jobs are good and you know well i mean it's, it's got the nickname mother's ruin to this day yeah, exactly. because yeah. it, it was used as a mm. as an antidepressant uh incorrectly yeah. for for generations yeah well i think hogarth made a series of really famous um hogarth is a famous uh, i think he was a woodblock artist in the in britain and he did a famous series called i think it's called gin lane and it's okay. just the most disturbed pictures of like the debauchery and uh the, the the falling to ruin from drinking gin so there was like a big it was a big thing but you, it's interesting you were talking about the low alcohol beer because I was just I read something today actually that was saying um, for a long time like low percentage beer was post war was was wanted and and was enjoyed because it was a good way to rehydrate after working mm-hmm. at, like heavy industrial jobs. Yeah, uh, people would drink on the job. They'd drink this low percentage beer, get rehydrated, and then they'd go for a few drinks in the evening. And it wasn't really until pilsner was created and became popularized well pilsner's obviously existed a long time but it's transport and export to other countries hasn't mm. and once that hit hit the shores there was a, a big change towards these higher percentage beers in the uk but the drinking culture stayed the same but now the beer was stronger and thus mm. you have the problems that you have and the, there is i mean again we see that macho culture come in there mm-hmm. where when when i was working i mean we both worked in pubs for years and your lowest alcohol lager would normally be your least popular. And the higher the percentage, the more demand there would often be. So, I mean, brands like Stella Artois are famously mm-hmm. beloved by the English because it induces higher drunkenness. So, yeah, you do have this relationship where I think mm-hmm. a lot of English people, they see, oh, a beer's got 11%. I need to try that. The the other th- the other side of it is in, in Germany, for, I mean, you mentioned it before, you can drink at 16 mm. you can drink beer and wine at 16 you can go to a pub and drink beer and wine at 16 which i think it, first off it means that you can go with your parents and you can have a drink and you can learn the process from your parents perhaps or family members or you can learn it yourself within an environment where like most bars like especially local village pubs or town pubs that you know you know your locals no. you've got this group of like teenagers in you're keeping an eye on them people will give you advice there's like a bit of a community aspect to it and that's maybe overplaying it slightly but yeah. there is a certainly a more you we know you're 16 watch watch yourself don't don't, don't take the mickey you know the other side of mm. it is you don't have very many farines you know like a farine here like sports clubs loads of different activities like there's a lot of things that you get sort of directed to as a kid like football or uh, maybe some hobby or uh, whatever there's lots of options whereas certainly in the northeast of england and scotland mm. there weren't any sports clubs like there weren't any clubs that were being like pressed upon you or like uh, you were being it was like a football club i couldn't play football i was rubbish at it so i wasn't playing football i played a bit of rugby but after i'd done my knees in it wasn't really going to happen anymore so i wasn't playing rugby and like once you've run out of sports like tennis 
maybe if you're lucky. Like if you run out of sports, what's mm. there's no there's no other clubs. Whereas in Germany, there's a club. It feels like a club for everything, and there really isn't a lot of stuff for young people to do. Certainly in the areas that I lived, and so you would inevitably start drinking because of almost just because of pure boredom. But I think that this the question around around alcohol and alcohol consumption is that, and and the lockdown is that yeah people are. People are looking for ways to feel better about about things. It's not the best. It's not the best way, but it is entirely logical that people would drink more in lockdown or would would find um, 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 outlets for drinking alcohol. Yeah, there's only so much exercise you can do, no? Yeah, but but the difference, of course, is that the British, whether it's in lockdown or not, go out to get hammered. And the interesting thing you pointed out is that it's, it's so cultural, especially for men. Like for me, like. Drinking water in a pub shouldn't be shouldn't be difficult, but it, I waited a few weeks before I decided to just do it because I knew what would happen as soon as I ordered a pint of water. All eyes on 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 Nick. What's Nick doing? And then there was questions about 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 whether I was oh that's not very manly or that's not a man thing to do. The you man up and toxic masculinity essentially just 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 totally wrecking your uh, your day because. Because you're not living up to a weird a perception of what men should be based on something from the I don't know the 1920s. Utterly shocking, but I mean, of course, the bar industry is really guilty of this, and we've got some very dear friends who are, who are publicans, and you know there are some that I wouldn't order a Bloody Mary from because I I just can't be bothered to be harassed for ordering what is sometimes considered a vaguely female drink. So I mean, we'll wrap it up with one final quote here from uh, Professor Adam Winstock, who is the chief executive founder of the Global Drug Survey. And he thinks that British people have never really embraced moderation when it comes to drinking, while many other cultures regard alcohol as an accompaniment to a social event and frown upon drunk, uh, public drunkenness. We've often embraced it as a cultural identity. The challenge is making people realise drinking a bit less does not make you boring. In fact, you'll probably have a better night. It's like, as a country, we need to leave our adolescence behind. And here, here. Thank you again for listening to Decades From Home. We really, really, really appreciate it. I wanted to say a special thank you to three people who've reached out to contact us. One is Katya, who gave us the really cool article about um, alcohol consumption in Britain. Uh, so thank you, Katya. You're a superstar. Uh, next up, we got two really, really lovely emails. One from uh, Margaret, uh, who wrote a really nice blog, which if you are interested in, in reading it yourself, you can find at her blog, which is the uh, trans blog, spelled T-R-A-N-S, B-L-A-W-G, which is, uh, it's a little bit about her experiences. So take a look at, at Margaret's work there. And finally, we got a really nice lengthy email from Steve, who is from Yorkshire. So, um, hey Steve, how are you doing? Um, yeah, really, th- thank you very much. It was really, really nice to hear. Actually, um, Steve especially, I was having a really bad day and then I got your email and it really cheered us up. So what a dude. Uh, thank you very much for that. So yeah, if you if you want to reach out and contact us like Katya, Margaret or Steve, uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Simon is on at Decades From Home and I am on at 40% German. So you can reach out to us on Twitter there. Or if you prefer uh, to use email, you can reach out to both of us on 40%German at gmail.com. Or uh, if you have a bit of time, please take a look at the website, 40percentgerman.com, which is, uh, as ever, 
articles going up every Saturday. Uh, so take a look, have a read, and yeah, thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>